Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here with Keith Townsend. Welcome to another sponsored episode of the Greybeards on Storage podcast, a show where we get Greybeards bloggers together with storage assistant vendors to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. This Greybeard on Storage episode is brought to you today by Racktop Systems, and now it is my great pleasure to introduce Jonathan Hellstock, CTO of Racktop Systems. So Jonathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's new at Racktop Systems? Sure. I'm Jonathan Hallsuch. I'm one of the co-founders and the CTO of Racktop, and uh, we're excited to be the leaders in cyber storage, which is a new class of storage that was labeled by Gartner about two years ago, where it talks about having proactive or embedded security within the storage itself. So we offer a NAS solution or file share solution. There's lots of deployment options. And we're the only one that offers an all-in-one solution to proactively defend your data against any sort of cyber threat or attack, including ransomware or insider threats. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what Racktop means by proactive security storage? Yeah, so for a long time, you know, NAS and storage systems have really just been effectively storing your data. And there's been some audit logs that are sometimes taken to show who's accessing the data when, and that can be sent off to third-party systems to be analyzed later to see if there was any nefarious or malicious activity. But as we've seen over the past few years with the rise in ransomware attacks, that, you know, the bad guys are after your data. Cybersecurity has been very network-focused in the past, but now people are moving towards a data-centric security architecture or data-centric zero-trust architecture. And so what we want to do is put the protections as close to the data as possible. And so we're offering proactive protection where the data is stored on that NAS or the file share. And what I mean by proactive is taking action when we see suspicious or malicious activity. And it relates to zero-trust, right? NIST defines zero-trust as the move from implicit trust based on your position within the network to dynamic trust evaluation for each transaction with an enterprise resource. So if you think about files, right? Everyone's accessing these files. So in a traditional NAS, you're given, you know, read write permissions by an admin to a folder for instance, and you have read write permissions to that folder until the admin goes in there and takes them away. So whatever you're doing between that, you know, you could be encrypting files or stealing data or doing whatever. With a zero trust approach and with what we're doing with proactive security, we're actually evaluating trust for each file operation. So after you've given per- been given permissions to go read files in that folder, if all of a sudden you start to read those files and encrypt them, well, that looks like a ransomware attack. So we can actually stop and block your user account and your client IP from accessing any further data. Now, most systems typically, you know, they may monitor this sort of thing, but they're very reluctant to stop access like that. That's a, that's a pretty serious step to take. Um, are you guys, is that something that can be, I don't know, configured or is that something that's automatically done anytime you detect uh, what you consider to be inappropriate access? Yeah. So there's flexibility there. Out of the box, we have some default rules that are set in a certain way and you can even put it in the beginning in an observe only mode where it's just going to alert you and show you, Hey, this is what's going on. And you can see, you know, do you have good cyber hygiene? Because a lot of times we realize, you know, when people deploy our solution in the beginning, that they're using a lot of admin accounts in areas maybe they shouldn't and things like that. And so they get visibility into what's happening in their environment that they didn't have before. Right, 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 right. So 
I guess a, a good question is, you know, the nature of uh, not just your customers, and, but uh, yeah, I think universally, these are these types of tools that inject uh, some capability that didn't exist before also has have the chance of uh, injecting fr friction into the relationship between IT consumers and IT providers. What's like the, what are the steps for remediation? And if either something is malware or a new application, malware versus a new application, how does a, a, a user get access to their uh, right capability again? Yeah. So definitely we focus on not having a lot of false positives and it can be configured to only alert and not block depending on what the type of event is. And there's a rules engine, almost like a data firewall where you can figure that. So to recover or restore access, an admin can go in and quickly enable or unblock that user from accessing data. You'll still have a record of what happened, but it's very easy to, with just as quickly as we, we stop it, we can restore access for the user. And that's typically done by you know, either a storage admin or a security admin, depending on how the organization's set up. Um, and we also support webhooks. So this these alerts can be sent as an email to someone, you know, like a team or into the SIM or to whatever tools the SOC or storage team is using to manage and monitor the environment. Now, now there's, there's plenty of different styles of attacks these days, and they're getting more and more sophisticated. I mean, it, it goes all the way from, you know, data theft to data encryption to, you know, data deletion, those sorts of things. I mean, there's a lots of different ways that bad actors can act in these sorts of environments. Are you able to try to detect uh, a lot of these different approaches? Yes, we are. So we have what we call assessors that are looking for different malicious activities. So things like the use or abuse of an admin credential is one type of assessor. So we can clearly indicate, right, that you're going to know, hey, this was an admin account and it was used to write or it was used to read files or it was used to delete files. And we take different actions based on the assessor and the type of path. So automatically, if an admin account's used to delete a bunch of files, we use our rolling snapshot capability to also put a hold on those immutable snapshots around the time of the incident. And in the incident management window, we can identify these were the files that were deleted by this admin account. And do you want to restore them? And we can quickly restore those files. Or if it was approved, you can acknowledge that and close out the incident. But it's important to note, you also have the ability um, to have, you know, white lists and, and rules and allow temporarily certain things to happen, right? Because you might be doing a data move and you're going to use an admin credential to do that. So you can put in a rule to say, I want to allow this admin credential to use this data set and move data for this period of time. Then this, this ignore is going to be only allowed for the next 24 hours or whatever period of time the move is going to take. So that's one type of assessor we have. We also have assessors for for ransomware to detect things. And because we're using user behavior and entity analytics, we can detect, you know, even a zero day type ransomware attack. We don't only detect, you know, known ransomware variants. We know the behavior patterns of things like ransomware and can protect against that. Um, and then we can also protect against things like data theft and, and other uh, threat vectors. So do these assessors uh, integrate with like third party DLP definitions or applications like can I expand beyond uh, or expand the capability of the uh, onboard assessors? So we update the onboard assessors today based on and we can update those at any time. We we don't currently um, integrate with other DLP products. However, we can tip or alert those products 
out, but our vision as part of our hub architecture is to extend the ecosystem of what we're doing on box to off box and then have integrations with those type of DLP technologies and SOARs as well. Mm -hmm. And do you off, offer like visibility into, I don't know, you know, uh, account permissions and account access and things like that? I mean, reporting types of things as well as, uh, you know, proactively detecting what's going on? We do. And, and we call that kind of the cyber hygiene uh, part of it, right? Being able to have integrated compliance reports to show you by user what data sets and permissions they have access to or by data set what, you know, users and groups have access to that data set. And that can become valuable. You know, you want to, before a cyber attack, reduce, you know, the blast radius or your risk, right? You want to improve your cyber hygiene. And so with the integrated compliance reports, you can put this information that previously was kind of locked in the bowels of things like AD and the sysadmins and, and the help desk and give this, these reports to the, do, to the data owners and to managers and say, hey, is this person still on the project? Do they still need access to this data? Um, and they can say, oh, actually, that person left, you know, because if you've worked at a company for a long period of time, especially if you talk about large agencies or large corporations, you know, you tend to go project to project. And then by the time you've been there 20 years, it's like you have access to data all across uh, the, the organization. And if your account gets compromised, it could be a bad day for the organization. That That is interesting because I'm thinking of like challenges that I've had with firewall rules. I love the comparison to firewalls. And one of the features that I, you know, I used to ask for all the time is time-based access. Like the ability to say for there's a project and this person or team should be on, have access to this system and data for this time period. So I don't have to manually go back and remember that uh, the, the, to revoke the access. Right. Yeah, because it, it rarely happens, right? We forget, we get busy and then get distracted. Yeah, it never happened to me in the past. <laughs> So you have that sort of capability in the system to to provide time-based uh, read-write controls and things of that nature? So the time-based read-write permissions is coming, and that's part of what we'll be doing with our hub technology. But we do have the rule, we do have now the ability to have time-based rules to allow, you know, certain behaviors that would normally trigger uh, to be allowed. So kind of a time-based ignore or whitelist rule. So if I have a process that uh, if I have a process that encrypts data at night because I want to uh, I don't want the system overhead of encryption, mm -hmm. I, that's an, a good type of encryption. So I can allow that and the system will automatically shut down as a result. It won't. Yeah, it'll allow that to happen because you, you've said, hey, we expect this this process or this to happen at at this particular time by these accounts. So that's an approved known thing. If something happened that wasn't approved and was an unknown, that would create an alert. Now, something you said earlier, Jonathan, about um, I, I, entity analytics kind of thing. I, so, so it seemed like you're, you're looking at, I don't know, file access or file read-write patterns and things of that nature and, and trying to determine whether the new accesses are similar to the old. Is that what you're doing? So we know kind of the behavior pattern of normal behavior, right? For normal users. And then we also know the behavior patterns of what we would call abnormal or malicious type behavior. So ransomware is an easy one to explain, right? Where you're all of a sudden you're reading files, overwriting them with an encrypted version. And, and, and so that, that type of pattern can be exploited as well for other types of suspicious behavior. And we don't uh, openly broadcast all of all of what we're doing for OPSEC reasons to protect our customers. But essentially, yeah, we have different 
methods that we know based on here's how a normal application opens files, writes files, reads files, versus how a malicious actor might go about doing that. And that will start to not look like a normal behavior. And once we see that, we build up confidence, hey, this is uh, bad behavior and we can take the appropriate action, whether that is you know, just alerting on it or actually blocking it uh, as well, depending on how the rules are configured and the type of behavior. So one thing we haven't talked about is use cases for, you know, uh, application use cases. Is this mainly for, you know, kind of profile, home directory, file, traditional file sharing? What are some of the typical uh, applications that are uh, using this as a backend? Yeah, so it's it's very flexible for how it can be used. And I'll talk a little bit about the deployment and then how that fits into the use cases, right? So we are used for things like the file shares, medical imaging, but we can be deployed as a traditional turnkey appliance with direct attached disk, and we can support hybrid or all flash uh, pools. We can also deploy as a virtual machine in the cloud in your favorite hyperscaler, on your favorite uh, hypervisor on-prem, or in HCI uh, type deployments as well. And so it's the same software deployed in all those methods, so it's completely interoperable, which means you can have you know an edge VM deployed, you know, in, in on Nutanix, for instance, and replicating that data back to, you know, a physical instance in your, your core data center. And so we have customers in a wide variety of verticals, you know, obviously the ones that tend to be the, the fastest growing are the ones that have been targets of a lot of these cyber attacks. So things like the government that want to protect data and data theft, you have also um, areas like healthcare where you have medical images and a critical need to be able to deliver care even while under attack, right? We've heard of uh, lots of attacks against healthcare organizations and hospitals. They have a lot of sensitive data. We want to protect that not only against theft, right, but also create cyber resilience so that while under attack, they can continue to perform and deliver care. Um, but yeah, people are using us for general network file shares as well. Um, and then also, you know, we have, we're used for large backup and archive type situations where you want to protect that data, keep it for a long time as more and more organizations realize that their data has value even in the long term or they have to keep it for regulatory requirements they want to have that kind of access to it and still have the visibility into who's accessing it and when right a lot of times we're very focused on protecting that you know recent or near-term data that's currently being used but sometimes um we take our eye off the archive however the archive has lots of sensitive data so we want to make sure we're we're, we're looking at that too yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, the historically these sorts of capabilities have been provided by independent appliances or independent software and those sorts of things. And I always thought the rationale behind that was that uh, some of these things take up uh, processing power and, and storage power, IO power and that sort of thing to scan files and things like that. I mean, historically, you know, NAS systems may scan for viruses, but that's about it. They were, they were doing so much trying to get the file uh, access to be supported and that sort of thing. Have you guys, if, I guess the question is, how are you guys being able to do this sort of thing and still maintain, you know, decent levels of performance? Is it all because it's flash and computers gotten so so performant these days that you don't don't have those sorts of problems anymore, Jonathan? Yeah, so I think we're definitely taking advantage of the fact that the x86 architecture has come a long way and, and we're running on, on those platforms, right? And so we're able to take advantage of those improvements in, in that architecture and their ability to use a lot of RAM. So we're able to right-size our systems to 
do security as part of its normal workload, right? We thought of security as a forethought as we built and designed the system. And actually, it's more efficient because we're doing the security uh, operations in real time as you're writing and reading data to the system. So it's only a few more steps to do it there versus the other way of doing it is where you're basically doing all this file you know, servicing, right? Servicing the IO and request. But then after the fact, you have some other tool that comes in and then scans the system. And we all know just to your comment about the virus scanning, that's problematic. You're now doubling your IO and you're doubling your throughput. We're doing it in line in real time. So you're, you're, you're basically reducing kind of the overhead needed and doing it more efficiently and smart because of where we sit within the yeah. I know, I know there's folks listening to the podcast thinking, you know what, Keith, you haven't asked the basics. You know, I love the raised question around performance. The other one's around protocol support. What, you know, what, what types of uh, file-based access protocols are we talking about? Yeah, so we support SMB and NFS, and we support SMB, actually, you know, SIFS 1 all the way up to SMB 3.1.1 with uh, signing and encryption. And we can show you, you know, in the audit log what versions of protocols we're using. If you do use SMB 1, sometimes there's manufacturing that need to still continue to use that because they have embedded systems that require that. But you can closely monitor and access that. And then we also support NFS 3 up to NFS uh, 4.2. Oh, that's, that's good. I noticed you used the word SIFS, which <laughs> properly, which is kind of unusual for our, our uh, listening audience, but that's 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 good as well. So the the security game, you guys have been playing in the security game for quite a while. Racktop systems seem to have started in uh, the more, I call it, security-intensive environments. Uh, is that true? That is true. We, coming from our background, realized that the commercial uh, industry vendors weren't really providing solutions that really met the standards of, of, you know, the federal government and other organizations that had high sensitivity to security and compliance. And so we wanted to be able to build a product that thought about that from the beginning and didn't bolt it on, right? A lot of, you'll even see today vendors, right? As the rise in ransomware attacks went way up, they started to add marketing language to their sheets saying, oh, we provide ransomware protection or we do this. But these were add-on solutions. Sometimes they're not even a product they own. It's a third-party product they're adding to their solution set to create this kind of bolt-on monster. By doing security as a forethought, it's a much more elegant uh, deployment and it's meeting the requirements. And because we're focused on security, you know, we continue to evolve. And unlike other uh, vendors, right, in typical, you know, commercial industry, if you're building a product, you want to be ahead of your competitor. That's your, your biggest concern. But in the security space, really, you have to be ahead of the adversary. So we need to continue to evolve the product and stay ahead of the different uh, threat actors and make sure that our our product is enabling every organization to protect their data as if it were a national secret. So, so as we, you know, kind of that natural secret piece, you, you folks are based out of Maryland, and I can't help but ask the question around what type of agencies, what, what range of agencies use your solutions and how is this helping them meet their uh, compliance goals and, 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 and actually OMB uh, efforts as they change from administration to administration. Right. Yeah. And so you saw like the cybersecurity executive order that came out in, in May of last year. And so, and it specifically calls out implementing a data centric zero trust architecture. So our solution applies to all of the agencies, both, you know, you look at the DOD and the civilian agencies, of course, we do have a lot of customers across uh, the DOD and, and those types of areas, and we continue to expand. But what we're seeing is that everybody realizes that 
they are a potential victim of these attacks. And and I think it's been a fallacy. A lot of a lot of people think, oh, nobody's interested in the data I have or who would really care to go after this. But what people are starting to see is that they've been going after and stealing that data for a very long time. It was when ransomware attacks came that it became a visible attack, right? Traditionally, advanced persistent threats wanted to get into your network and steal data and go undetected. With ransomware, they said, hey, I want to prove to you I have your data. And we're even seeing now ransomware attacks turn more into extortionware attacks where they're stealing the data first and getting it. But yeah, we have customers across uh, the federal government and, and can meet the most uh, stringent um, security requirements for it. Oh, that's impressive. That's impressive. It's kind of like in the old days, the HPC kind of workloads were very specialized, but nowadays with AI and stuff like that, those workloads are becoming more uh, mainline, more enterprise-based workloads. The same thing is happening to some extent with security. Security was always a pretty intensive occupation for three-letter agencies and that sort of stuff, and they had specialized uh, software and solutions to do it. But ransomware emergence has sort of changed that whole dynamic. Now everybody has has the problem. Everybody has the need for for more secure storage. Ray, I think you've just uh, uh, created a new tag. Every company is a three letter agency. <laughs> okay, well I'll see if I can't work that in. Uh, so Keith, any last questions for Jonathan before we close? No, it's been a great conversation, Jonathan. Thanks a lot. And Jonathan, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience uh, before we close? Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the discussion and uh, we'll be at uh, HIMSS in April as well as HPE Discover. So if you're there, come check us out. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. Well, this has been great, Jonathan. Thanks again for being on our show today. And thanks again for Racktop Systems for sponsoring our podcast. Uh, that's it for now. Bye, Jonathan. Bye, Keith. Bye, Ray. Thanks. All right. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Next time, we will talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as this will help get the word out. 